Listener Production. Early in the research phase of this podcast, I tried to piece together a timeline of my mum's pregnancy. The photo I had of her with the baby was taken in August 1973. I knew she was married in February of 1973, meaning she must have found out some time before that that she was pregnant, around December 1972 or January of 73. Before I discovered the outcome of that pregnancy, I started looking into what options a pregnant teen had in the 1970s. What options did she and the other women of her generation actually have when they faced an unplanned pregnancy? I'm Amelia Roberhart and this is Secrets We Keep, Shane Lies and Family. I've spent a lot of time looking into the impossible choices that women face and in the cases of forced adoption, the choices that were taken away from them. There's a few reasons that adoption rates slowed in the mid-1970s. Contraception became more available, introduction of family planning, the supporting mother's benefit, but another reason was the legalisation of abortion. As I started to look into how abortion became legal, I was shocked by one particular event in my home state of Queensland. It was a state-sanctioned raid on two different abortion clinics. It was so telling of the time, of how women were treated in the not-too-distant past in this country. So up until the end of the 60s, it was very hard to find a safe abortion. Abortion was illegal right across Australia and the laws dated back to the middle of the 19th century. Caroline de Costa was the first woman in Australia to become a professor of obstetrics and gynaecology. She has more than 50 years experience and she spent time researching Queensland's history of abortion. The states have always set their own abortion laws And in 1960s Queensland, the state had kept those 19th century laws. It just remained that same very archaic language. And it didn't use the word pregnancy. It used the word, if a woman is with child, or even if a woman was not with child, if she thought she was and she attempted to find an abortion, she could still be prosecuted because she had done something wrong. In addition to facing prosecution, seeking an abortion could lead to complications, including death. There was also a very extensive network of backstreet abortion providers, many of whom were very unsafe. It was still common, certainly in the 60s, for women to be very damaged and occasionally still to die. I have spoken to gynaecologists, all of whom, have now passed on, but who were practicing or training in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s in Brisbane and elsewhere. And they remember whole wards of women who had the complications of backstreet abortion. For some pregnant women, the dangerous and illegal option was better than the alternative. If a woman cannot access safe legal abortion and she wants to have an abortion, she will attempt to find illegal abortion and that may be unsafe. 
there were some doctors who would discreetly perform surgical abortions. It was possible at that time, if you were a well-off woman living in a city who knew where to go to a doctor, who could perform an abortion for you safely, who would have the skills to do that. By the start of the 1970s, calls to reform abortion legislation were really revving up. In Queensland, some doctors and feminist groups wanted a safe service they could refer women to to explore their options. They began to campaign in the streets. They lobbied politicians, they lobbied doctors. They made as much fuss as they possibly could and they set up a small organisation to provide information to women about where they could get an abortion or actually discuss their situation, their unintended pregnancy, with someone sympathetic. Because half of pregnancies in Queensland, as in the rest of Australia, are unintended. That doesn't mean they're unwanted, but they're certainly not intended. And women need to be able to talk to someone about what their options are. And that has become the organisation now, which is called Children by Choice. In 1973, I worked in an office in the valley and one morning tea, one of the women was quite upset. She said she thought she was pregnant and she was very upset. And one of the women in the office said, oh, go and see children by choice, they'll help you. So that was the first time I'd ever heard of them. My name's Lorraine Smith. I worked as a volunteer counsellor with Judy, actually, for a few years. I'm Judy Petrzewski. I was counsellor plus coordinator for quite some time and community educator, but generally speaking, we're pretty well... Covered it all. Covered it all. (laughs) Judy and Lorraine joined me in the Brisbane studio to talk about their time working at Children by Choice. They both volunteered and worked there for many years. I would sort of argue that Children by Choice was responsible for changing the social attitudes to abortion. Before we we started, it was a very non-issue and we had a huge influence on, I think, the attitudes of Queensland women and I think that's a huge credit to those women that started the organisation. The organisation had their work cut out for them, lobbying the government to change abortion law doing media appearances and education work. They set up a counselling service in 1972 to help discuss the options of those confronted with an unplanned pregnancy. Women would visit the small office in Red Hill in inner city Brisbane, paying a small counselling fee if they could afford it. You can tell Judy and Lorraine have a lot of history, finishing each other's sentences and sparking each other's memories. Can you recall your first aid counselling? Do you remember who it was and do you remember the circumstances around that? No, no, but I can remember a lot of... Difficult ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was one of those like? What would a difficult case be like? The counselling work that Judy and Lorraine were doing was in high demand. There were three counselling rooms, three counsellors on roster, we would see about three or four clients in the daytime and then two at night 
Sometimes we'd see them in the kitchen too. If oh, yeah. If bear came in, you'd... Or sometimes we'd have to have group counselling <laughs> if there were a few friends or something. So that's three threes a nine. You'd see about 15 a day. I mean, they'd be queued up sometimes. You'd have a queue down the road when we first were there to get in. We were always busy. What sort of questions did you ask when you were face-to-face? What were the things you wanted to know? Did you have a partner? Is your partner supportive? How they felt about abortion, what they Mm. knew about contraception, what support systems they had. I mean, some young girls had told nobody. You know, there was quite a few people that told nobody about it. We weren't performing abortions. Mm. And we were also counselling on all options. Mm. And if, you know, a client decided to continue with the pregnancy, we'd refer them to different organisations who could help them. We were very supportive of whatever decision the woman made. And I found it a really positive experience in helping people make those decisions. If a woman decided to go ahead with a termination, children by choice would then help arrange the appointment. But there was a shortage of doctors in Queensland actually willing to perform the procedure. It was a very different story over the border. In New South Wales and Victoria, doctors had won court cases that set legal precedent and allowed doctors to perform safe abortions. Because there were safer options interstate, that's where children by choice sent those wanting an abortion. In fact, in 1974, they negotiated a deal with the now-defunct ANSET Airlines to fly women interstate to have a safe abortion. We ran a pretty comprehensive service. They needed airfare, we arranged that. If they needed accommodation, we'd probably arrange that. ANSET would provide a bus to the centre to transport the women from Red Hill to the airport, to the plane. And with ANSET also, they provided a discount ticket. The clients got cheap airfare and ANSET got full planes. In 1977, Brisbane finally got its own abortion clinic in the inner city suburb of Greenslopes. It was known to many as the Greenslopes Clinic. The doctor taking the risk of providing safe abortions was called Dr. Peter Bayliss. Caroline de Costa says he was very open about it. He would appear on television and argue about the need for an abortion service in Queensland. It's the woman and it's her body and it's her problem, no one else's. So he was a huge advocate for women and for women's reproductive rights. Peter Bayliss had previously worked in Melbourne performing abortions. Peter Bayliss, uh, when I first met him in, in Melbourne in the mid to late 70s, was a very interesting person, very erudite, an extremely competent operator. Peter Bayliss has since passed away, but I spoke with David, who worked with him. Uh, My name is David Grundeman, and I'm a doctor. And he essentially taught me by watching him, by helping him, by assisting him, how to do these procedures and how to do them well. David went on to set up several abortion clinics across Australia, 
including one in Townsville in Queensland. I was able to open my clinic in Will Street in uh, Townsville in April of uh, 1983. The service was extremely popular and, and highly necessary. And it appeared that I was servicing a very wide area of rural North Queensland. A 1980 survey of women's weekly readers reported that 94% favoured legal abortion to some degree. Only 6% opposed all abortions. The general community feel was extremely positive. The majority of the population wanted for women to, to end their pregnancies if that was what they desired. Queensland, particularly North Queensland, was always conservative, but in the sense of abortion, even the conservatives wanted access to safe, legal abortion services in those days. There was no question about that at all. Abortions were still criminalised in Queensland, but the clinics had operated in the hope they could borrow the same defence used interstate should Peter or David be prosecuted. For a number of years, they were left alone by the Queensland government. David adds there was this strange dichotomy when it came to people's views on abortion. Some people may have been privately pro-abortion, but because of pressures from families, religion, workplaces, or just the social attitudes at the time, they had to be publicly anti-abortion. In a small place like Townsville, we, we often had groups from Catholic girls' schools and mixed schools um, who were forced to come and demonstrate in front of the clinic uh, every so often they had to walk up and down in front of the clinic with placards saying abortion is illegal, you know, God loves all children. So and I could see the ones that had been patients of mine. So it was, a, it was a complete paradox. And it highlights the hypocrisy of the people that were in charge of these people that made these young people do things that they clearly didn't want to do. One anti-abortion group was called Right to Life and they were very publicly against abortions. They picketed outside clinics and relentlessly lobbied governments. There were, of course, a handful, a hardcore of right-to-life people, a very strong religious beliefs that demonstrated in front of my clinics from time to time. Right-to-life was the most prominent group in the country opposed to abortion rights. Caroline DeCosta says they're still incredibly vocal to this day. The right to life are disproportionately loud and there is often amongst the media a feeling that, oh, well, we've got to present the other side, which gives the idea that there's, it's a kind of equally divided argument. Uh, it's not. The people who are vehemently opposed to abortion are a much smaller proportion of the population. When Peter and David were running their clinics, right to life was very much alive in Queensland. Even members of my own extended family were part of the lobby group. And looking back now, I see that probably did have an impact on my mum. And I wonder what options she thought she had. Some in Right to Life question the legality of Green Slopes. The organisation secured friends in high places. We're talking about the long, long reign of Joe Bjorki Peterson. Joe Bjorki-Peterson is a name that lives on to this day. He's known to many up here as simply Sir Joe. He was a polarising character, 
and he was Queensland's longest-serving Premier. He was a Conservative, faced numerous allegations of corruption and was staunchly anti-abortion. In 1980, he even tried to pass a bill through Parliament that would ban all abortions across Queensland except for where a woman's death was imminent. 19 government MPs then crossed the floor voting against their own party's bill, and it failed. This was the sort of political backdrop that Peter and David had to operate their clinics in. But still, they carried on work as usual. That is, until one Monday morning in May 1985. I was in the middle of, of a, uh, an operating list and a large troop of plain clothes policemen came in waving warrants and saying, you've got to stop everything and we have to seize everything in the place. A terrifying experience for my patients. But the police were courteous. They didn't go out of their way to make anybody feel uncomfortable. And quite frankly, my own feeling was that the police were probably as uncomfortable as I was. They didn't really want to be there. How do I know this? Because a number of them had uh, wives and girlfriends who were patients of mine. David was arrested and police seized 2,000 sets of private patient records. And I have no direct evidence of this, but I was told later the police had set up roadblocks and intercepted people who they thought were patients of mine that they could get, if the case came to court, they could get to give evidence against me. It wasn't just Townsville that had been targeted. Peter Bayliss's Greenslopes clinic was also raided on the very same day. Neither of us knew that the other was being raided at the same time. So it was a well-coordinated but a secret operation by the Queensland Police. The raids at Greenslopes were much larger. 50 police, a host of specialists, including medicos, forensic biologists and nurses, were involved in the raid. The police arrived in a bus, 52 of them. He was operating. The director of the clinic had just finished an operation and was about to start another. He did not appear to have been warned about the raid at all. Women fleeing the clinic, grateful they weren't caught on the operating table. While David and Peter were blindsided, the media had been tipped off about the raid. They gathered in strategic spots to take photos, and what a photo opportunity they were given. Police with crowbars digging up drains. It had a tawdry ring to it, policemen gaining evidence down sewers. Was there ever a case of a baby in a drain? <laughs> there, was, there was never a case of a baby in the drain ever anywhere. All of our fetal remains right from the get-go were clinically disposed of. Never any fetal parts in drains. That never occurred, not to my knowledge, anywhere in Australia. It was quite a, a media circus, which uh, was, you know, frightening and, and a little bit disconcerting. Word of the raids reached the Children by Choice office. Judy and I were in the office and the first phone call when we turned the phones on was from a woman and she said, Oh, I've come to Greenslopes for my appointment and I can't get in. You know, the, the road's blocked off by all these police cars. And I walked through and she said, there's tape all around. And we're going, oh my God, they've done it. They've done it. From then on, 
the phone was just ringing with clients who couldn't get into the clinic. As the phone was ringing, what was people's biggest concern? They were they upset. Couldn't get their they were shocked. What was going to happen? Where would they go? That afternoon, a TV crew came to the Children by Choice office and they caught Lorraine doing a little something to the files they had on site. What we used to do to make sure all the clients' information was kept confidential at the end of each week, this was fairly primitive. I used to cut out the names of the clients. With the TV that night, they showed our office and Judy was being interviewed and I'm in the background cutting names <laughs> off. <laughs> Judy and Lorraine can laugh about this now. One of those it-was-very-serious-at-the-time sort of things that ends up sounding ridiculous and funny years on. They took Dr Bayliss away in a patrol car and they also seized the records of his clinic, all the records. 45,000 women had their notes seized by the police. Documents seized from the clinics not only had angered women who had their abortions there, but it also started to anger other members of the public. People who didn't have their records there, they were still outraged that medical records were being taken because they're medical records. You know, that wouldn't happen in any other doctor's practice. People are outraged that those things have happened, that those records were all involved in, in going into the government and that that should never happen. Even if you're anti-abortion, I think people just viewed that as a total invasion of privacy. It's pretty hard to fathom that would happen in today's world, police just raiding random medical clinics and seizing abortion information of private patients. It was, and still is, truly outrageous they got away with it. The day after the raids, at least 200 women protested at the state government executive building in Brisbane. There's a, a level of anger and there's a level of outrage about what happened yesterday, but also those women whose uh, files were taken away. Those, uh, I mean, what use is going to be made of those files? We don't know. Queensland Attorney General Neville Harper had said in a press conference that it was the police officers who made the choice to take the files and that they weren't going to prosecute any of the women. There will certainly be no witch hunting of people and it is not the intention that legal action be taken against the women uh, nor against the, the patient what in this area. But it was a different story for David and Peter. Both of them were charged with conspiracy to procure an illegal abortion. I engaged uh, a very, very good legal team and uh, fortunately we were able to have the charges dropped. The courthouse was opposite my clinic in those days. I walked back across the road and started working again. And from then on, there didn't appear to be any, any issue whatsoever with, with my practice. David was in the clear and later files from both clinics would be returned. You might think this would also put Peter Bayliss in the clear, but it didn't. Queensland's Director of Public Prosecutions at the time started forming a case against Peter. He was very keen to get Bayliss prosecuted. Not, I think, because he had any opposition to abortion, but to further his political career. 
The DPP led a vast campaign across TV, radio and newspapers, inciting anyone with a complaint against the clinic to come forward. One woman came forward and complained. She was a young woman who had had three children. She was only 20 and she became pregnant for the fourth time. And she had had an abortion with Dr. Bayliss and she had hemorrhaged and she had had to be transferred to hospital, which can happen. It's a risk of a surgical abortion, particularly uh, she had had a baby just three months previously. So she was at risk. She was appropriately treated. She survived. She was in perfect health by the time she made the complaint against Dr. Bayliss. A case was brought against Peter and his anaesthetist. And they looked at his notes and he had made very clear notes explaining that he believed that if this woman continued with the pregnancy, her life and health particularly were at much greater risk than if she had an abortion. And Justice Maguire agreed that this was the case and he dismissed the charges. Looking back on the raids, it's actually hard to pin down the reason why they happened. David thinks maybe it was the result of a passing remark by the Premier. There was a throwaway line by Sir Joe to say, can somebody not get rid of this nuisance doctor in Brisbane for me? And maybe the remark was acted on to further one politician's career. Going through the archives of the Korea Mail at the Queensland State Library revealed nothing of note in the lead-up to the raid. Maybe it's just another part of Queensland history in the controversial reign of Sir Joe. What I do think it shows is how politics and other systems can interfere with someone's right to make a choice about their own body and how critical the right of choice is. Do you think that the rights are tenuous no matter what century or decade you're living in? The short answer to that question is yes. There's always a chance that the right and the religious right will overturn basic rules and regulations. But the reality in Australia is that I don't think that will ever, ever occur. Even though there seems to be a propensity of right-wing policies and political parties being brought to power, I really don't think that abortion is ever going to be attacked in the way it was in the past. When I talk to girlfriends about the podcast and, and talking to you guys today, they can't believe there was a time where you would have to get on a plane to get an abortion. Yeah, it's all it taken was... for granted now, yeah. but as the vote is and how women equal pay is and how that we could even vote is, and I well, mean, it's well, all just... Women have always had to push for what they want. It's, a, it's That's there's history. always the possibility of losing these rights, so you've really got to be vigilant all the time. In the years after the raids, abortion did gradually become more available to Queensland women. But it would take until 2018 for the state to fully decriminalise abortion. And it was a similar story across the other states and territories in Australia. Decriminalisation took decades. All of this is part of the patchwork of social change that women have had to fight for. And arguably, it's still an ongoing fight because making abortion legal, it hasn't led to a perfect system. A Senate inquiry into reproductive health this year heard women continue to feel shame and judgment around having an abortion. 
The report set out a clear, comprehensive roadmap for improving access to abortion care right across the country. A key recommendation from the inquiry has been to increase accessibility of abortion services at public hospitals. Women in regional Australia continue to travel hundreds of kilometres to have safe abortions in public hospitals, in addition to facing very long wait lists. Many are left out of pocket paying for the procedure, the cost of consultations, follow-up appointments and any medications they might need. In April this year, the ACT became the first place to offer free universal access to abortion services. They remain the only jurisdiction in the country to do so. Knowing so much about the times my mum lived through, it gave me a lot of empathy and understanding towards her. There was still one part of her life, though, that I didn't understand, and that was her alcohol dependency. I think one of the biggest issues we have when we're talking about addiction and dependence is the issue of stigma. And that's because the way in which we think about addiction and talk about addiction is, is really is a moral issue rather than as a health issue. Next time I speak to an addiction expert, that's in the final episode of Secrets We Keep. Secrets We Keep, Shame, Lies and Family is created and hosted by me, Amelia Roberhart. Produced by Jake Morecambe and Bonnie Lavelle. Fact-checking, Alistair Kirkby. Production assistance by Bensian Siebert. Sound design and mix by Niall Fernandez. Executive producer is Ellen Leibeter. With thanks to Claire Weaver, Jessica Wukinov and Tara Cassidy. Natasha Jobson's our Head of News Operations and Melanie Withnell is Head of News and Information. Archive materials supplied by the Australian Broadcasting Corporation Library Sales. You can keep listening to the next episode now. If you're enjoying the series so far, please leave a rating or a review. You can also email us, secretsweekeep at sca.com.au.